Glad you're here. Welcome to Antioch. Man, it's already been a good day. You guys having fun in the presence of God, amen? Well, if we haven't met, my name is J.D. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we're really pumped that you would come and spend some time with us this morning. Uh, My prayer for you is that you find Jesus here, that you find family here, and you find your purpose. Uh, We really believe that God has created every single one of us on purpose for a purpose, and we hope you encounter the living God in such a magnificent, powerful way that you can't escape his destiny for your life. And I I just want to start with a big shout out for our team uh, who has made church happen here at Juan Navarro High School. Uh, This is our second week to be here, um, and we're still learning a lot, and we really appreciate your grace, but uh, just a super special shout out to uh, our builders team, who's the team of people that really turns this space into a church uh, instead of just a school, uh, and our kids team. Um, who is uh, doing an incredible job. Uh, We had to open a new classroom just from one week. Like We're like, wow, we have too many kids, so we've got more classrooms going on back there. So good. Love it. Love what God's doing. Um, And hey, if you're looking for a place where you can jump in, and uh, like we like to say around here, where you can matter here, uh, Builders and Kids is a great place because when you do that, what you're going to find is a group of people that are committed to growing together and getting better at love loving you and loving your kids. It's a lot of good stuff that happens on those teams, so jump in. Uh, This is a double special day, all right? And so um, I'm going to kind of do a little, uh, can I I make this moment personal? Is that all right? Can I invite, can we just turn this into a living room, a family room, if you will? Uh, uh, Because today is a very special person's birthday, and his name is Moses Chun. Moses, can you come up here? Moses, leave your station, bro. Leave your station. Come on, everybody. Moses, the chosen chun, man. Uh, if, If you don't know Moses, you don't know that he is hating every moment of this. He, uh, he doesn't like this type of stuff at all. Um, I was even got a special request from his wife. Please don't sing happy birthday to him. He hates that. I was like, cool, I won't sing, but I'm going to do everything else. Because uh, Moses, I can't look at him or I'm going to lose it um, uh, because he means that much to me. Uh, and today is special, not just because it's Moses' birthday, uh, but a lot of you guys know this. We, we've been journeying together is that God has called Moses and his beautiful family, his wife, Sarah, and their uh, amazing little stud, JP. He's called them home uh, to the Chicagoland area. And so next week will actually be Moses' last Sunday with us. Um, as a church, and uh, I thought, man, like, what, what a beautiful timing. We, uh, sometimes things happen, and I think you guys get the illusion that we're great at planning things, that, wow, his birthday would be lining up right when this happened. No, that was, like, that was beyond us. I was like, oh, wow, it's birthday Sunday. This works out great. Um, but, but here's the thing about Moses. Uh, Moses has been a special person to me and my family for the past seven years. And, and really beyond that, I got to, Moses when he, got to know Moses when he was a student at Baylor 
and I was one of the college pastors at the Antioch that is in Waco. And uh, Moses was our bass player. He was a life group leader and uh, just, an, just an incredible guy. And when we decided that, when Liz and I decided that we were going to plant a church here in Austin, um, Moses was the first person, and I'll just say this, the only person uh, who said, hey, I want to come with you guys. And um, I, I didn't know the treasure that I was getting. I had no idea that uh, Moses would become uh, not just a friend, but a brother. And uh, he has served our church in every capacity, literally, uh, except kids pastor. (laughs) He's done everything. Uh, When we started the church, he was like, it was just us. And so he was like the, the accountant, the... Because you don't want me to be the accountant. So he was the accountant, he, and we did everything together. And, man, it was, cool. it was fun. We had some good times. And uh, uh, I was driving with, with Liz. We were heading to uh, spend time with some of our friends uh, outside of Dallas last weekend. And um, uh, this worship song came on, and I just was like, yo, we have to do this at church. I don't know if you ever have one of those moments where you're like, something's on this song. You know, it's like, wow, this is like speaking to my season and uh, this is speaking to our season. And so I do what I always do, text when I'm driving, apologize. And I texted Moses and I said, hey, man, we got to do this song. Have you heard this song? And send him the link. And then after I did that, I realized, oh, he's going to be gone. I'll probably still text you. It'd be like, hey, we should do this song, you know? Like, and it'll be like, all right, cool, text Sam, you know? Like, and, uh, it, and here's the thing, like, it, it's emotional because I haven't just worked with Moses for seven years. I've actually had the privilege of being loved by Moses for the past seven years. And he's been just a faithful friend. And uh, when, whenever you're building something, especially when you're planning a church, which is special, um, to say the least, uh, and I've, I've planted a couple churches, and this has been a unique experience for me, um, having someone who's going to carry your armor with you is special. And uh, you've done that, dude, so well. We, we love you so much, dude, and um, it's your birthday as well as your second to last day, so we got you something. If you guys don't know, Moses was one of was our worship leader and called him the pastor of experience because he kind of oversaw everything that we did, and, um, <clears throat> and uh, what he did when he took that on is that he actually is one of the most anointed bass players that you've ever heard. Like, he prophesies through the bass. Like, it's amazing. Like, no, I'm serious. Like, you don't think bass matters until Moses plays the bass, and you're like, oh, yo, I had no idea. Thank you, Moses. You know, like, in that, and um, he had this old bass that he's had for a really long time, and it stopped working. So we found out what his dream bass was, and we bought it for you, bro. And I, I think we have a picture of it. Do we not? No? Okay. We, we, we. 
He picked it out. Moses sent it to us, and it's being shipped to your parents' house. Oh, we love oh, you, bro. Man. Thank you so much. <laughs> love you, buddy. Love you. Love you. So much, man. <clears throat> Whew. Okay, I made it. And I have to tell you, the gift that I got him, just because I, <laughs> it's so, it's, it's funny to me. It's like Moses is the, the most un-Texas person you should have ever met. Um, and so I was like, dude, we can't let this guy leave Texas and go back to Chicago without a pair of cowboy boots. So I got him a pair of cowboy boots, as you should. I don't know if he'll ever wear them, but they will be a, a monument in his closet of God's country. Can I get an amen? All right. <clears throat> now, let, let's, let's, let's get into what God has for us today. Amen. Uh, last week, we spent our time talking about stepping into the new thing that God is doing, and stepping into the new thing can be amazing, but can also be extremely challenging. Uh, new is exciting, but new is also hard because new seasons demand new behaviors. Because doing what we have been doing in the last season that we were in, if we keep doing the same things in the new season that we're in, it's most likely going to lead to frustration. It's going to lead to disappointment because we're trying to operate in the new thing that is happening through the old lens that we've been living. So we spent some time talking about it's good that we lean in to the new. It's good that we step into the new. And let me make a clarification. I didn't know this, but at the end of my sermon last week, I was reading the story of Elijah and Elisha, and I, I said Elisha burned his plow, and he had a barbecue with his oxen, right? And, and I said, yo, in our language, that's going full send. I've been informed that the over 50 crowd thought I said full sin. Okay, that's not what I said. I said full sin, which means like pedal to the metal, selling out, going for it, whatever it is. All right, so just a little clarification that we're going into this new season full sin. We're not going in full sin. All right, we're, we're, we're going in full sin. Okay, are you with me? Full sin, we're on the same page. Right, Isaiah 43, verse 18. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. I said the above 50 crowd as if I'm not nipping at those heels, but I just, I'm not there yet. Uh, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing in us. He's doing a new thing in you. And once we begin to see the place of destruction and loss being restored by Almighty God, and God begins to heal some things within us, the question for us is, are we aware of it? Do we perceive it? Are we living in it? It, has it become our normal, or are we just excited because it is new? One of the promises for us in this season as a church is that, is that God is saying, hey, that he's with us, that he's positioned us for unlikely victory. He's with us, and he's positioned us for some unlikely victories in our lives. But let me just encourage us this morning statistically 
it is almost impossible for us to hold on to the new thing that we're believing for. Especially when it comes to New Year's resolutions, 9%, 9% of us will successfully see what we are wanting to see shift, change, be impacted or transformed in our lives this year happen, 9%. 23% of us have already quit. Within that 23%, this is awesome, you quit last week. This is the one that's the most revealing to me, that the second Friday of the month is known as, the second Friday of January is known as Quitter's Day. (laughs) Because that's when you're just like, okay, I've had enough, right? (laughs) Enough salad, give me a burger. Second Friday of the month, that's when it happens, Quitter's Day, okay? 43%. 43% of us expect, think about this, expect that we're going to give up on the new thing by February. It's like we go in expecting, yeah, this feels good right now, but I don't think it really is going to last. And so it doesn't. What's this tell us? It's easy to get excited about the new thing. That's the easy part. It's easy to get fired up about the new thing that's happening. It's easy to get fired up about the new ideas. That stuff, that, that, that is not hard. What is hard is actually living it. It's actually ingesting that new thing, being aware of it, perceiving it, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead. And look, these statistics don't stop at like simple goals, like, all right, this year I'm gonna eat right. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to read more, whatever your New Year's resolution is. These statistics, I think, bleed right into the things that we are holding on to that God has spoken over us. Promises that he's given us. Things in your life that you're like, man, I want to see this habit become a holy habit. I want to see this addiction be broken. Things that affect our hearts. These statistics are not just for the silly New Year's resolutions that we all set every year and we all seem to break every year. The beautiful thing is that God is gracious and is always speaking to us. He's always speaking to us. He's always kindly reminding us of who he has called us to be. And the cool thing is that our ability to actually be the 9%, to hold on to the new thing until it becomes our new normal means that we have to forget that we haven't been able to do that previously. Isaiah 43 tells us that to step into the new thing that God is doing, it starts with us forgetting the former things. We have to forget the former things. We have to forget the things that we have done to screw things up, and we have to forget what we thought God should do to bail us out. We have to forget the former things to move forward. We have to stop spending time thinking about what did or didn't happen the last time we tried to move forward in our life. We can't dwell on the last time we tried to take some ground in our heart. We can't dwell on the last time we tried to take some ground in our relationship or in our walk with God. And we have to look forward to what is happening this time, not being discouraged about what happened last time. Am I talking to anybody? Anybody with me this morning? Don't be discouraged that last year your heart was just as excited as it is this year. 
And by February, you couldn't even remember why. Don't be discouraged. Forget the former things because God is doing a new thing. We're, we're a 9% people here at Antioch. Any 9%ers in the house? We're, a nine, we're in the 9%. We're, we're, we're going to get excited about what God's doing, and we're going to see what God is doing fulfilled in our lives. And I'm going to give us one key this morning on how we enter into being 9%. I'm going to give you one key, and it is resilience. Resilience. If you're a note taker, write it down. Resilience. If you want to get from here to there, resilience. If you hear one thing today, make it this. Our ability to step into the new thing that God is doing is not about willpower. It's not about positive thinking. It's not about some internal personal strength. It's about resilience. Resilience. Here's what resilience means. It's our capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulty. If you want to go from here to there, resilience. You have to have a capacity to recover quickly from difficulty. Holding on to the new thing that God is doing hinges on our capacity to surrender in and recover from the bumps we hit along the way. If we want to be ground takers, we have to become masters at recovering quickly from difficulty. Look, a lot of you guys know this. I have four teenagers. You feel free to pray. No, I, I love them, actually. I, I'm loving this season of life. Um, there's never a dull moment, and uh, I, I think they're amazing. They're, they've also become mirrors to me uh, in a lot of ways. And, and, and I'm, I am hearing my parents' prayers when I was a teenager and them saying, Oh, Lord, give him you. You know, like, let him have one of his own. Like, let him treat us as he's, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, I'm there. You know, like, I, thank you, mom and dad. Like, I appreciate those prayers. No, seriously, having teenagers is awesome. And, and, and the thing is, is that when I was a teenager, I thought I was super cool. Okay? I, I really did. And it took me having teenagers to realize that that season has passed. Because <laughs> before they were teenagers, I still thought that I was cool. Now that I have teenagers, I realize, oh, bro, you are far. You are far from cool because I don't understand anything they're saying. I don't understand what it is that they're wearing. They all look homeless when they go to school. And they tell me, oh, no, Dad, this is super cool. I'm like, are you sure? You look homeless. Do you need a sign to go with your outfit? You know, like, I don't understand. I don't get it, right? I'm not, I'm not there. They're like, yo, Dad, I, got, I need some Crocs. I'm like, I spent my entire life making fun of Crocs, and now my children are requesting Crocs, right? And, and, I, and, and they're wearing them, and they're like, oh, Dad, no, these are cool. And I remember telling them, look, one of my sons was like, yo, Dad, I need hot pink Crocs. I, I put the stop button. I said, no, nah, dog, I'm not going to let you be that guy. Yeah, I'm not going to let you. And then I went to a school, and I saw that all the guys were wearing hot pink Crocs, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand. Like, I don't even have a problem, problem with pink. But I was just like, wow, I don't get this. Like, I don't get you, and they don't get me. I used to be funny. To them, I'm not funny. I'll say jokes, and I'll be like, yo. And they'll just look at me like, come on, Dad. Right? And, and so, like, and, and guess what? The things they think are funny, I don't think are funny. They're like, Dad, watch this video. I'm like, I don't get it. I, I just... 
don't get it. And, and we, were, we were in Rome a, a couple of weeks ago with all of the leaders of the Antioch movement. It was a time of like refreshing and being envisioned and equipping. It was amazing. And, and the kids were like, yo, dad, can we go get some gelato? I was like, absolutely, because when in Rome, you know, eat gelato. And so, and so they, they're like, we'll wait for you outside. And I'm cool. And so I go grab some money and I'm coming down. And I walk out of the hotel and I see my children in a line standing in front of a light that was lighting the, the wall of the hotel, doing a synchronized dance <laughs> together, okay? And one of their friends who lives in another country is filming him, and they're all like in a vibe, you know, like, oh. And I walk out, and I'm like, I'm embarrassed for them. You know, I'm like, what is happening? Like, what, what are you doing right now? Like, what? where are we, you know? And again, they, the, the famous last words, oh, dad, this is huge on TikTok. I'm like, tick what? Tic-tac? They're like, oh, it's big on TikTok. I'm like, yo, y'all don't even have TikTok. And they're like, no, 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 we don't have TikTok, but we take the funny videos from TikTok and then we make them and we send them to our friends. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And really, it was that moment, it was that moment in Rome where I said, you know what, we're in good hands. This next generation, <laughs> the sky is the limit. We, <laughs> I can't wait until Gen Z is doing, you know, there's the president, someone from Gen Z doing a TikTok dance, you know, the president being, oh, this is cool, wearing pink Crocs. You know what I mean? Like, the future is bright. But, but here's the deal. I learned a little bit about TikTok because I didn't know what they were talking about. And I realized I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get the point of it. But it's not all silly dances, right? There's actually some other stuff on there. There's some challenges on there as well. And I came across a challenge that absolutely nails what it really is like to be resilient. Let's check it out. Oh, guys, um, I think there's a little speed bump up ahead. Just FYI, just watch out for it. Okay, this is called the McDonald's Water Cup Challenge. So this in and of itself, like people do this. That in and of itself is special. You should be like, wow. Again, we're in good hands. <laughs> Who's going to solve all these global crises? Those guys. Right? I mean, now, so a lot of you, if, if some of you have seen this. I, I don't even know. If, is, is this an, a super old challenge? I'm not sure. But, but like... You, you've probably seen it before, but truthfully, this nails what it's like to actually be resilient. It's just so real, right? We're good holding on to the new thing, holding on to the dream, holding on to the promise, holding on to the hope of forgiveness or the hope of, of freedom, not forgiveness, holding on to the hope of freedom holding on to the hope of breakthrough, whatever it is that you're longing for in this new season, we're good, we're just cruising, yeah, 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 until we hit a bump. And then when we hit a bump, we're at a crossroads. When you hit that first bump, that second week of January, that first real craving, if you're trying to eat better, right? You, you hit a real bump, a real temptation, a real wall, and all of a sudden, everything that you were carrying is now up in the air, and we have to make a decision. I'm either going to lean in or I'm going to give up. I'm either going to lean in, refill all of my cups, 
keep driving again and, and be like, all right, here we go. Or I'm going to say, well, it's a mess. I don't know, I don't know if, if I can do this. I, I don't know if I could take another bump. I don't know if I have the strength to really take another hit. Because, like stepping into the new thing that God has for us, no matter what it is, maybe it's like you want to see a behavior change or you want to respond better, you want to grow in some holy habits, you want to get some, some new mindsets in your life. Look, getting there is not about avoiding bumps. Getting there is learning how to surrender in and recover from bumps. I think this is why... 91% of us don't make it is because we think, oh, yo, I need to try to avoid bumps. We hit a bump. Oh, I failed. But stepping into the new thing is about resilience. It's not about perfection. Did you know that God knows you're human? This was big for me. You ever, you ever like, get it, like God begins to speak to you and you're like, wow, I didn't realize that I was believing a lie that was so wrong about myself that it was distorting my ability to actually step into all that God had me to be. And, and that lie was that God's expectation on my life is that I would be perfect, that I would be Jesus, that I would always respond right, I would always think right, I would always say right, I would always pray right, I would just do right all the time, just like, oh, I just gotta do this thing, I just gotta make it happen, I gotta make this thing happen, I gotta go, and it has to be perfect, and then I would experience a bump, and I would not be able to recover from the bump, because I thought, oh, God must be disappointed in me because I'm not perfect. No, God's expectation is not that you would be perfect. God's expectation is that you would be fully human, and fully surrendered. Fully human. Look, God knows that you're going to hit setbacks. God knows that you're going to relapse. God knows that you are going to fail hard. So hard. God knows you're going to respond awful. He knows it. And he has grace for it because his expectation is that we would be fully human and fully surrendered. Not perfect, surrendered. Second Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed. And everyone say this, we are being, say that. Say it like you have some courage. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're in a process of transformation. We're in a process. And the key to staying in that process is resilience. It's being able to bounce back and recover from the bumps that challenge who we are becoming. We have to be able to bounce back from the things, the bumps in life that challenge who we are becoming because we are being, everybody say being. We are being transformed into the image of God. And if you're a Bible reader, you're gonna know the name Peter. How many of you have heard the name Peter, right? Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus actually called him the rock on which he's gonna build his church. That's a solid encouragement. That's an identity marking word. 
Peter, this is who you are. You are a rock and you are so stable and strong. I'm gonna put my church on your back. But the night that Jesus was betrayed and was taken to be crucified on the cross for my sin and for yours, Peter was not a rock. He was rocky. Peter was not a rock. He was rocky. He, he was not strong. He actually was scared to death. And he let his fear steal his faith. And he denied that he even knew who Jesus was. The one who told him who he was, he didn't have the courage to stand up for the one who loved him. He denied Jesus. And I love how Jesus restores Peter after he hit this bump in his becoming journey. You see, because Peter was becoming who God had called him to be, and he was human along the way. God knew that he wasn't gonna be the rock from the start. He knew that he would have setbacks, hit bumps, that he would relapse, have fear, because God's expectation is not that we would be perfect, but fully human and fully surrendered. And so Jesus looks at Peter, who is dejected, because that bump that he hit, that becoming bump that he hit, made him question everything that God had said about him. I'm no rock. I'm fearful. I'm a coward. I couldn't even stand up to these, these little girls that asked me if I knew who Jesus was. And after Jesus died on the cross, rose again, conquered sin and death, he meets B Peter on a beach. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, yes. So Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. And interesting, God does not point out how he blew it. He doesn't just expose him. He, he calls him. Do you love me? Peter's like, yes. He does it three times. Yes, okay, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Jesus keeps asking Peter, do you love me? Because he's pulling him out of his shame by reminding him of who he was. He's pulling him out of his shame by reminding him of who he was. And when you know who you are in God, there is nothing that can steal you from what God has for you. When you know who you are, there's nothing that can steal from you who God has called you to be. There's no becoming bump too big, no setback that's too deep, no failure that's too far. But when we're not clear about who we are, when we hit these, these becoming bumps and we, we hit them with identity confusion, it destroys our ability to recover from them. And so we just like, I give up, I knew it. I, I knew I couldn't do it. I, I knew that I was a failure. I know that I'm fearful. I, I knew it. I knew that I'm never gonna be able to shake this. I knew that I'm never gonna be able to change. No wonder we give up. No wonder we fall short. Identity is everything. Your identity in God is 
everything. All right, now turn to your Bibles. I hope you listened to me from last week. Who brought their old school Bible? First Samuel 17. If you didn't, it's all good. No judgment here, judgment-free zone. First Samuel 17. And I want us to dive into a moment of scripture that will be new to no one. Even if this is your first time at church, you know this passage because this is the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. Now, the story of King David is filled with moments of resilience and moments of failure. Filled with moments of resilience and moments of failure. David was so human and so surrendered that God said to him that he was a man after his own heart. David was so resilient and so human and so surrendered that God said of him, man, this guy gets it. He's after my own heart. But before David found himself on a battlefield facing the giant Goliath, he spent most of his life alone in a field. David was the youngest of his brothers. He was taking care of the sheep. He was a shepherd. That's what he did. That was his role in the family. And we get a window into the dysfunction of David's family and for those of you who maybe like came out of a dysfunctional family and you're like, man, my life is such a mess, be encouraged. David's family was a mess. It was so dysfunctional that when the prophet Samuel shows up because God has led him there to anoint the next king of Israel, David's dad, Jesse, doesn't even invite him to the party. And Samuel goes through like all the brothers, right? He's like, oh, and Jesse's like, oh, wow, check this one out, you know? And he's, Samuel's like, nope, nope. And they finally get to the end, and Samuel goes, is there, is there not another one? And, and Jesse goes, well, there it is. It's David. You know, he's a little weird. He sings a lot. He seems to be emotionally up and down. We can't figure him out. He carries his guitar around everywhere. We don't understand. He's writing poetry. So we just keep him in the field, mostly because we don't know what to do with him. And so he's out with the sheep, and Samuel's like, yo, go get him. And actually, none of you are going to sit down until he gets here. So he comes in and God speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one that I've chosen. This is the one that I've chosen. And he anoints him to be the next king of Israel. Right there, David encountered his God identity. God said, over David, you are the king. You are a warrior king. And what makes the story of David so rich is when we read through it, we see that God always puts identity on us first he tells us who we are before he puts us where he's called us to be. He always gonna tell you who you are before he puts you where he's called you to be. Who David was in the eyes of Almighty God was warrior king. What David did even after he was anointed king, he watched sheep. This is big. Because we have moments of identity clarity and we try to step into it right then. Oh, God said this, I need to see it now. David anointed king. What did David do? Watch sheep. Don't think that what you're doing isn't connected to what you're becoming. Don't think that what you're doing is not connected to what you are becoming. The more we understand about who God is, the, the, then we will understand that we will find strength in him to be resilient in the process that is in front of us. Because when bumps come, knowing your identity allows you to get back up, dust yourself off, and keep moving forward in the promise. And David hit some bumps in his journey. He hit some bumps. He hit some challenges. And, and, and they pushed up against who God had called him to be. Right? One of the bumps was he's anointed king. His dad does not go, wow, David, amazing. 
He was like, yo, cool, the sheep are unattended. Why don't you head back out there? Then the Philistines come and attack the people of Israel. Jesse goes, oh, yo, David, come here. Your brothers have been out for 40 days on the battle line. You've been out watching the sheep. Why don't you take them some food? Who was David? He was a warrior king. What was David doing? He was working for Uber Eats. That's what he was doing. He, he was anointed king, but what was he doing? He was working for Uber Eats. He was delivering food. His identity was clear, and he was learning to live in it before God put him in a position to have to be resilient in it. And so he goes to deliver food to his brothers. He's like, oh, yo, hey, guys, what's up, man? Here's some sandwiches. I hope y'all are doing good. And then he hears the Philistine, Goliath, mocking God, mocking the people of God. In 1 Samuel 17, 26, David says to the soldiers around him, okay, who is David, warrior king? What has he been doing? Watching sheep and delivering food. And he tells the soldiers, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? Who's this guy who has defined the armies of the living God? And his brothers hear him say this, and what do they do? They throw a bump at him. They throw a becoming bump at him. And they say to him, what are you doing here, David? Dude, you don't belong here, man. Go back to the sheep. You don't belong here. Guys, don't listen to this guy. Look, he sings a lot. Just let him do his thing. But, but he's strange. We can't figure him out. David hits a bump, but remember, resilience is connected to us understanding our identity. And since God had spoken his identity to him and David was walking in it, this becoming bump did not derail him. And so even though his brothers were accusing him, saying, you don't belong here. This isn't for you. You don't know what you need to do. You can't handle this. This is beyond you. He says, no, 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 I'm good. Let me talk to the king. So he goes and he talks to King Saul, verse 32. He's now looking at the king. Who was David? He was the warrior king. What was he doing before this? Delivering food. But he finds himself in front of the king. What's that tell us? That if we are obedient to believe who God's called us to be, God will be faithful to put us where we need to be. We don't need to fight for it. It's just going to come. It's just going to happen. And so David is in front of the king and it says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Can you imagine this little teenager, probably between the age of like 16 and 18, coming to these lifetime soldiers saying, guys, I know, look, here's the deal. Been watching some sheep. We're good. I'll take care of him. I had a moment with God. I'm, I'm good. You know, like I, ministry time was wild at youth last night. It was great. I am clear on who I am do not worry. Do not lose heart on account of what this guy is saying. And look, Saul replied, Another becoming bump. You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior his whole life. Saul's like, look, dude, I love the passion. It's the beginning of the year. I love your excitement. But you have no idea what you're facing. You have no idea what you're facing. There's no way that you can win this fight. David at that moment could have said, you know what, you're right. I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm doing here. I just got excited and caught up in the moment. He could have just like given up, but no, he had resilience. He recovered quickly from the difficulty and challenge that was in front of him. And so David was like, you're right, I haven't been a soldier, but I have been a shepherd. 
Don't think that what you're doing is not connected to your becoming. And David says, look, I have had a lion come and steal my sheep. I learned how to defend what was mine. And I killed the lion with my bare hands. Then I had a bear come in, and I did the same thing to him. So, yeah, you're right. I don't know how to be a a soldier, but I do know how to be a shepherd. In verse 36, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. This is how the devil attacks our identity. This is how the enemy tries to get in and rob us of who we are actually called to be. He sends words from people and words into our minds that are these like becoming bumps that challenge who God has said that we are. And it challenges us. And we're like, oh, I don't know. And that water falls on. We're like holding all these cups. We're like, maybe you're right. That bump was gnarly. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I can't take it. But David was resilient. And what's interesting is even when you're resilient, the enemy does not give up on trying to get you to become who you are not. Because now Saul changes his strategy. He's like, look, this kid's not going to listen to me. He's going to go and fight. And so what does he do? He dressed David up in his own tunic. Saul's like, hey, look, wear what I wear. I'm the king. You wear what I wear. Put on this armor that belongs to me, this big bronze helmet. And listen to what David does. I can't go in these. I can't do this. I'm not used to them. And so he takes them off. Why? Because look, the enemy, if he can't get you to quit on who you are, he's going to try to get you to do what you're called to do in the way that someone else does it. And you're going to find yourself on a battlefield in unfamiliar armor. The armor that Saul had was not bad. It worked great for him. But it just wasn't who David was called to be. And so David says, no, I don't need all that. You know what I need? Give me five stones. All I need is five stones, five smooth stones. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to handle this man. So he goes out there, right? We know how the story ends. He goes out. Goliath is like, yo, come on closer. David's like, nah, that's how you fight. How I fight. Smacks him in the head with the rock. Dude passes out. David goes, grabs his sword, cuts his head off. God love the Old Testament. Right? And the people of God experience a great victory. Why? Because David knew his identity. David knew his identity. He knew his identity in God. And because he knew his identity in God, it didn't matter what opposition was coming at him. It didn't matter what people were saying about him. It didn't matter what was coming towards him. He was secure in his identity because he was secure in his identity. There was nothing that could steal his God destiny. Look, this is how we see giants fall in our life. It's not about getting stronger and tougher. It's about getting clearer about our identity. It's about getting clear about who God says that you are. Because when you know who God says you are, you're going to cut the head off a giant, cut the heads off of giants. You're going to destroy them. And your giant's not Goliath, but your giant might be depression. Your giant might be anxiety. Your giant might be your marriage that's failing. Your giant might be your business is falling apart. Your giant might be your finances that you can't get a hold of. Your giant might be the fact that you have experienced so much loss in your life that you're wondering if God is even good anymore. I don't know what your giant is, but how you handle the giant is you get clear on your identity. And you fight the giant how God created you to fight the giant. And you're only gonna know how God created you to fight the giant when you know who God's called you to be. 
David was unmoved when they were throwing all these things at him because he was resilient. He was able to bounce back from difficulty and challenge quickly because he knew who he was in God. We're able to step into all that God has for us when we are resting in who we know God has made us to be. Do me a favor. I want you to stand to your feet. We're responders here at Antioch. We're not just people that hear the word, but we want to be those who who respond to the word. And here's the question for all of us. God, who do you say that we are? It's actually personal. God, who do you say that I am? God, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What is my God identity? And as we worship, I want you to listen to heaven and let God begin to tell you who you are. Don't fight against what you hear. Receive it. Don't wonder if what pops in your head is from him or from you. Walk out in faith, quiet your hearts and let the living God stamp us in a fresh way with a God identity. And we've got a real practical thing for you. You're about to get some stickers. It's a little green dot. What I want you to do is I want you to take your phone and I want you to put that green dot in the corner of your phone. And every time you look at your phone, I want you to see that green dot and be reminded of who God says that you are. Because look, if you want to get resilient, if you want to be in the 9% and not in the 91%, you have to get clear about your identity and you have to live there. You have to stay there. You have to walk in it. And so take that sticker, put it on your phone, and say, you know what? Every time I see that, I'm going to be reminded of who God says that I am. So right now, we're going to let God tell us. Just close your eyes. Lord, right now, we're just inviting you. Come and speak. Come and speak right now. Begin to stamp identity on people. But we silence every voice, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we say, right now, would you begin to speak to hearts? The people would be able to hear your voice from heaven saying, this is who I say that you are. And as we worship, I want you just to listen. And I want you to put that sticker on your phone. I want you to write it down. I want you to live in it. I want you to dwell on it. I want you to meditate on it. I want it to be so familiar to you that it goes from being the new thing to the normal thing. Because the key to making it is resilience and the key to resilience is identity. And the beautiful thing about God is that he has designed you on purpose for a purpose. So Lord, as we sing, would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen.